welcome Sunday and uh, not together in the school but together via the internet via the web via the amazing technology that we have um, and we're just so grateful for that so let's just pray as I come to bring the word that God's given to me for today thank you Lord Father we just thank you for being able to connect in this way that uh, we can still do church together, Lord God. Be encouraged, be touched by one another, see one another, and uh, just hear from one another. So thank you, Lord. Thank you that we are able still to communicate. And I just thank you now for this word, Lord, that you've given me. And I just pray that you would use me, Holy Spirit, to bring what you want to say to us right now. Open our hearts and our ears to receive. Hear what you want to say to us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, we're at the beginning of our series on Acts, and uh, we just started that new series on Acts and spiritual practices. And um, today we should have been looking at Acts chapter 2, and uh, um, Eddie was going to be preaching on this, but unfortunately he's not well. Um, fortunately not with the virus, but uh, with some other health issues. So um, I've stepped in, and initially I thought I would look at, at chapter 2 and um, work through that, because it's such an amazing chapter when you look at it, you know it, you know, it's where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the early disciples, and it's the birth of the church. But um, then God laid something on my heart that I believe He wants me to speak on, and is rele relevant for us at this time. Um, today I want to speak about that time between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, those 10 days between these two chapters. Chapter 1 is where Jesus meets up with his disciples, tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then they go out to the Mount of Olives, um, where Jesus commissions them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He then ascends to heaven, and the disciples head back to the upper room in Jerusalem where they did two things. One being deciding on a replacement for Judas, and the other one I will speak about shortly. Now Jesus did not tell them how long to wait, but just to wait. And they did wait, not knowing when the promise was going to come. And they waited until Pentecost. And the opening verse of Acts 2, verse 1 says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Had they been all together in the upper room for these 10 days? We're not sure. Um, in Acts 1, it says that on the day that Jesus ascended, the disciples went back to Jerusalem and went into the upper room where they were there for some time. It's not immediately that they chose Matthias to replace Judas. They were there for some time before that happened. Acts 1.15 says, In those days... Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, what, he, what I spoke about the last time um, I preached was, it was time to choose a replacement. So in those days seems to imply it was some time after getting back to where they, they were staying, but not immediately, not straight away on the, on the first day, but sometime in that interlude between returning to Jerusalem and the opening of chapter 2. Peter gets up. And using the scriptures, the scriptures that they had in those days, the Old Testament, and explains Judas's role and the reason for needing a replacement um, apostle to replace Judas. 
I believe that this revelation came to Peter because of the other thing that they were doing in the upper room. And what was it that they were doing in those 10 days? It's mentioned twice in the second part of chapter 1. In 1 verse 14 it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And in Acts 1.24 it says, They prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two have been chosen. They devoted themselves to prayer. They prayed. These ten days were a time of prayer. They did not know what was going to happen. They were uncertain, and I'm sure they were scared. They'd been told to wait. So while they waited, they did the one thing that Jesus had taught them to do, and that was to pray. As I said earlier, I was going to look at chapter 2, but God placed a word on my heart for us as a church for this time. And we were in a very similar situation to these apostles and disciples of Jesus, the 120 in the upper room. We, like these disciples, have been told to stay where we are. We're not free to just go out and do what we want. We are uncertain as to what is going to happen or when something is going to happen. So in these times of uncertainty, what are we to do? Now, I know some of you are key workers and have to work. And on behalf of all of us that have to stay at home, I want to say a big thank you to you for risking your health to serve others. We bless you and pray God's protection over you. Now for the rest of us, we have a unique opportunity to be like those early disciples in the upper room. This is what I want to talk about. So what was the word that God placed on my heart, impressed on my heart? To you it might sound like a strange word, and it did sort of seem strange at first, but uh, I want to share it with you. And the word was chrysalis. Okay, chrysalis. As I say the word chrysalis, what comes to mind? What picture do you see in your mind's eye? It could be different for each one of us. Now, as that word formed in my heart, I immediately thought about silkworms. Now, I'm not sure if silkworms are a big thing among the kids in the UK, as it's not really the climate for it. Silkworms eat mulberry tree leaves. And uh, I don't know if there are any growing here in the UK. But in South Africa, they do. And having silkworms is something that we all did as kids. And it still happens there today. One of my classmates, um, she adopted a child about 10 years ago. So she's got a young kid compared to the rest of us. And she posts a lot about what, what he does and just his, his, what she's doing with him. And he just loves his silkworms. Every year when it's silkworm time, She's posting pictures about it. So I know the kids today are still um, having silkworms at home um, in South Africa. So it's chrysalis and silkworms. As that word came to me, God began to speak to me about the silkworm and the life cycle of the silkworm. So where do we start in the life cycle of a silkworm? The moth or the egg? It's the proverbial question. The chicken or the egg? Which came first? Now, as a creationist, I believe that God created the chicken, which then laid the egg. So, getting back to the silkworms, their life cycle um, is influenced by the temperature and the humidity that they find themselves in. The higher the temperature and humidity, the shorter their life cycle. 
And so we're going to start with the moth. Just like we'd start with the chicken, we start with the moth. That moth lives between 5 to 10 days. And after mating, the female lays anything up to 500 eggs. These eggs are tiny. They're minute little eggs. And the eggs hatch after 10 to 25 days, releasing a worm that is so, so small you can hardly see it. But these worms grow rather quickly. They shed their skin five times as they grow. They look like white caterpillars. If you don't know what a silkworm looks like, they look like a, a white caterpillar. Um, you think of the life cycle of a butterfly, it's the same thing. Um, those are obviously more things that you'd see here in this country. Now the worm, the silkworm, lives for between 20 to 33 days. They're voracious eaters, devouring mulberry leaves at an astonishing rate. And if you did not have a mulberry tree in your garden, when a neighbor's garden that you had access to to get the leaves, your silkworms would not survive. We used to keep our silkworms in a shoebox, and initially with the, they would be in there, and then as the worms grew, you'd poke some holes in the top of the shoebox so they had some air, but not big enough so that they could climb out, because they would just go all over the show. Um, and so you'd have these silk, silkworms in, in the shoebox, and the lid on. Now the next part is the interesting part. Towards the end of the, the silkworm's life, it begins to spin a web, normally in the corner of the shoebox. And within that web, it spins a cocoon around itself. And in the beginning, you can see the, the start of, of this cocoon, and you can see the silkworm inside it, and it's just spinning this thing around and around and around itself. It's like the shape of a rugby ball. Um, and so that's, and then eventually, it's fully encapsulated by the cocoon. And that cocoon is made of silk. And this is what the silk farmers are interested in. And um, that's, what they, that's where they harvest their silk from. And in order to do that, they actually have to kill the, the worm inside the, the, the cocoon once, once it's finished doing the cocoon. But I want to talk about what happens inside the cocoon if they don't do that. What happened to our silkworms when we had them at home as kids. And this is what God spoke to me about. Now inside the cocoon, the silkworm's skin hardens. And its inside become liquid, almost like a soup. And it transforms into a chrysalis. And it has this hard outer shell and this almost like liquid form inside. And in this country, if you had to see butterflies, butterfly chrysalises, you'd see them hanging underneath branches. They look these little brown sacs hanging there with a hard exterior. Now this is what's happening inside the, the silk cocoon. And then metamorphosis happens, and the chrysalis becomes the moth that can then emerge from within the cocoon. It eats its way out, and that's why the, the silk farmers have to kill um, the, the worm, otherwise it destroys the, the silk as it eats its way out. The moth destroys that silk. Now, as I pondered on the word chrysalis, I made these images in my mind of this point in the life of the silkworm, where it's beginning to spin the web and the cocoon and the transformation that takes place in this cocoon. There's a web that's been spun around us. There's a virus that's happening. We cannot see it, unlike the silkworm's web. And we're in a time of self-isolation. We're separated from our normal lives. And we've been forced to make changes to our lives, just like that silkworm. It's going through a process. 
The silkworm cannot stop itself from spinning the web and the cocoon. It has to do it if it wants to see its species survive. It's just as the Lion King taught us, it's the circle of life. Now we do have a choice at this time in our lives, unlike the silkworm. We need to observe social distancing, but we do not need total isolation. We need social interaction. But during this time, we'll find that we will spend more time on our own than we normally would do. Even if you are working from home, you no longer have that commute to and from work, so you have more time. You don't have to get all dressed up smartly as you would for work, so you have more time. On your lunch break, you're on your own. You're not amongst a crowd of friends or colleagues. So the question is, what do, you, what do we do with this time? Or rather ask the question, what does God want us to do with this extra time? And I believe God has already been preparing us for this time. He's been speaking to us about spiritual practices. Like Mike mentioned in the beginning, in, 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 before he prayed for us. Remember some of the spiritual practices that we've already mentioned so far this year? Being slowing. We've all had to slow down. Sabbath. We can begin to practice Sabbath. Setting one day aside to just spend time with God. To not worry about anything else. And then there's silence and solitude. Yes, in our, on our own, we need to be practicing silence and solitude. Or even if you're with your family, make time to practice silence and solitude. So now you have the time to do it, to begin to practice them. Begin to put them into place in your life. Create a lifestyle that you can keep going. I want to add one more. The one practice that the disciples were doing in the upper room. It's the practice of prayer. In this time of upheaval and uncertainty, the one thing we can be certain of is God wants to spend time with us. And God wants us to spend time with him. God doesn't do social distancing. He is the one person that we can be totally up close and personal with at all times. James 4 verse 8, the first part of it says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now I believe God is giving us the time to begin to put these spiritual practices in our lives. I believe at this time the primary practice needs to be prayer. Now earlier on this year I read Pete Gregg's latest book, How to Pray. And at the moment, I'm actually busy reading one of his earlier books, Red Moon Rising, which is all about the birth of the 24-7 prayer movement. But in his book, How to Pray, he looks at what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And he takes the word pray, the letters, P-R-A-Y, and he puts them into four steps, four sections in the book. And within each section, there's a couple of chapters. Each step begins with one of the letters. P is for pause, where we slow, where there's time of slowing and centering. He says this in, in, in the beginning of, of that section. To start is to stop. 
To move forward, we must pause. Stillness and silence prepare your mind and prime your heart to pray from a place of greater peace, faith, and adoration. So P, pause when we pray. The second is R, rejoice. Is adoration and thanksgiving. This is what he said. The Lord's Prayer begins with an invitation to, adorate, to adoration. It's our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. There's adoration there. The most natural and appropriate response to God's presence is reverence. Worship is the thing God designed you to do. The third letter, A, is ask. And in asking, there's petition, intercession, and perseverance. Prayer means many things to many people. But in its simplest and most immediate, it means asking God for help. Prayer is asking God for help. Petition is when you pray for yourself. And intercession is when you pray for others. And in both of those, there needs to be perseverance. The why of pray is yield. And he talks about contemplation, listening, confession, and spiritual warfare. The final step in the dance of prayer is surrender. We yield to God's presence through contemplative prayer and by listening to his word. We yield to God's holiness through confession and reconciliation. We yield to his power in spiritual warfare. It's by surrendering to God that we overcome, by emptying ourselves that we are filled, and by yielding our lives in prayer that our lives themselves can become a prayer in the end. So in this time of crisis, people who don't normally pray begin to pray. That's what everybody tells us. In times of crisis, you'll find people who, who never pray, suddenly they pray. And with this pandemic, we have a great opportunity to be in touch with our neighbors, that, those that live along our street. It's a great opportunity to be in touch with them, asking them if there's anything that they would like prayer for. Is there anything in their lives or in their family's life or in the situation that they find themselves that they need prayer for? It's a wonderful opportunity to get to know your neighbors and to begin build, to build those bridges that hopefully one day Jesus will be able to walk over and into their lives. I believe that we are living in a chrysalis moment where we might be physically isolated and separated. But if we are open to what God is doing, we can, at the end of this period, however long it takes, emerge from this chrysalis, transformed into the butterfly or moth that God wants us to be. Allow him to work in you as you look to him. Seek him, wait on him, hear from him, pray to him, and allow him to transform you. Take your eyes off the troubles of the world and fix your eyes on him. Before we pray, I want to just give Jill an opportunity to read something that uh, has been sent through to us that we saw when we were at the National Vineyard, the, the Vineyard National Leaders Conference. So. Thank you, David. And um, before I start that, thanks, sweetheart, that was great. Um, if you want to hear a wonderful opportunity every single day 
to spend some time in the Lord's presence. Um, Pete Gregg has put up this Lectio, and you know Lectio Divina, the holy reading of scripture as we've practiced before. Um, it's, a, it's about a 10-minute slot, and it's called Lectio 365. And you can Google it, go on it, and every day you'll get a beautiful meditation, scripture reading, and something really uplifting. So it, it's, a, it's a really good one. When we were at our National Leaders Conference, it was just so exciting because so much of what we need now was taught to us in that time. And so we're so grateful to our leaders to being sensitive to God's presence and, and God's leaning and teaching and guiding. And um, Carol Wimber, the wife of John Wimber, was interviewed. And um, this is just something that she particularly said for us in the UK. He, this is God, needs us in our place for what's coming. I'm not exactly sure what's coming, but I know it's coming. I know it's soon, and I know it's huge. It's going to be the whole thing, like nothing we've ever seen before. That's kind of scary and wonderful to think about. You need to get in your place for what God's called you to, and do it with all your heart, because it's so very, very important, because no one else has been designed to do it like you will do it, and you're the one he's called. No one else will ever be able to do what you're called to do, because we really are unique, each one of us, unique, designed for our place. It's coming, and it's going to be so big and so huge and wonderful, but terrible too. We need to be in our place so we can handle the influx because masses of people are going to be brought in this last harvest. It's such an amazing prophetic word for our time, the call to take our place. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you speak to us through your word, through pictures, through our hearts, through our minds, through your spirit. Thank you for those who have gone before us, for the wisdom that they've left for us to build on. And Father, I pray that this word would touch our hearts and that we would be like that worm, being transformed into that moth that is still is so productive that we can be one and be a blessing to so many others. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.